Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. IT band syndrome is a painful and debilitating condition, and it can totally derail your training plan. It's a common injury and is estimated to account for between 5 and 14% of all running-related injuries. It's not a truly awful condition. Karen and I are going to talk about the risk factors for developing IT band syndrome and also how to manage pain and inflammation with nutritional support. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs. I'm Aileen Smith and I co-host our show with my very good friend and business partner, Karen Campbell. We're both professional nutritionists and our spare time we're runners. Our show is dedicated to you, a female midlife runner. The menopause transition is a challenging time for many women and no one wants this phase of life to affect their well-being or indeed their running. As midlife women, Karen and I know what you might be experiencing and we also know how transformational good nutrition is at this stage of life. Our approach is to swap magic bullet advice for evidence-based nutritional science. We focus on real food and strategic food choices so you can enjoy your running and be your best. We hope that our episode topics are helpful to you. However, if you'd like professional help from us, please book a complimentary work with us call at runnershealthhub.com. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. Hi everyone, I'm Karen and I'm here once again with Aileen and our topic today is all about IT band syndrome and running. Anyway, before we start, I'd just like to welcome back our regular listeners and if you are listening for the first time, a really warm welcome to you and we do hope that you enjoy this episode and also all the others that have that we have done before and the many that still have to follow. Now, Aileen and I do really enjoy our podcasting, but we also love it when we hear from you. So please do drop us a line at hello at runnershealthhub.com. Just introduce yourself and maybe share a little bit about your running and your nutrition goals, because it really helps us to plan future episodes and future topics for uh, for the podcast. So, hi, Aileen. I was just wondering if you could maybe start by saying a little bit about why we have chosen to talk about the uh, this subject today, IT band syndrome. Hi, Karen. Hi, everyone. Um, well, we every now and again, we like to um, talk about something, an injury that runners experience. And, and it's actually thought that IT band syndrome or to, um, is, is, the, is a condition um, which is a leading cause of all lateral knee pain injuries. And, and it's estimated to be in the range of between 5 and 14 percent 
prevalence of all running injuries. So, um, you know, it's uh, something that we all need to be concerned about. Now, for some runners, the pain levels can be really high and it can cause them to stop running. And obviously, that is really disruptive to training plans. Um, and as it appears to be a common injury amongst runners, I just thought we should talk about it today. Um, so I'm wondering, Karen, have you ever experienced um, IT band syndrome? Actually, Aileen, I have to say it's probably one of the few injuries I haven't experienced yet. Hopefully I won't. Um, and I am being much more conscious about um, about uh, rolling out, foam rolling. So I'm hoping that that is a, a, an injury that will bypass me and I won't experience it. Well, that's that's really good to know that you haven't experienced it, because I must admit when I was doing a little research, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if this is something It sounds very similar to something Karen's experienced. But then the more I got into it, I realised that, no, from the things that you've talked to me about, I thought maybe you haven't. Um, and it's something that I haven't experienced. And now I know a bit more about it. I certainly don't want to. Yeah, absolutely. Ailey. So hopefully the two of us will stay um, stay well regarding that one. Now, just as a reminder to everybody, our expertise is in the realm of nutrition. You know, we're not running coaches or sports therapy practitioners. So when we are talking to you about aspects of injury prevention or recovery, we are speaking from our experience as runners and also as nutritionists. Now, we can recommend other experts if you do need more specific advice. So just get in touch uh, with us and um, and we can we can refer you. So, Aileen, moving on from there, what um, will we cover today? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is I've got a terrible tickle in my throat and I'm a bit worried that I'm going to cough. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to take a minute and have a little cough <laughs> because that might make it a lot better for me. Yes. And have you got some water there that you can sip? I have. I've just taken a sip of water. So um, hopefully all will be OK. But I do apologise in advance. <laughs> oh, dear. So, Karen, what we're going to talk about today is an overview of what IT band syndrome is and, and what are the underlying causes. Now, I'm not going to talk about physical uh, therapeutic treatments or even preventative exercises. Um, when I was reading about it, there's a lot of um, contradictory information, shall I say. So I think I'm just going to leave it uh, for you to consult with your physio or sports therapist. Um, however, because we know that pain and inflammation are synonymous with IT band syndrome, we're also going to cover pain management and the risks associated with chronic use of over-the-counter painkiller medication. And then we're going to touch on nutritional support for managing inflammation status. So that's an overview of what we're going to talk about today, Karen. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Eileen. So let's get started with that overview of um, IT band syndrome. Eileen, what can you tell us about it? Well, I mean, people might know where the IT band is, but basically it's an it's a thickened band of tissue that runs all the way down the length of the outside of your thigh. And the IT band works with the knee ligaments and it helps stabilise the knee joint. And there are various theories around why IT 
Aunt syndrome happens, but the common theory is that uh, the condition is an overuse injury and it results from the IT band running, uh, rubbing repeatedly against the lower end of the thigh bone as it joins the knee. Uh, and the friction uh, then causes inflammation and pain. Now, it's also thought that there are other contributors, uh, such as weak muscles in your hips or knees or tightness in the IT band uh, and also having slight differences in the length of your legs. So that's that's what's going on really with the, with the IT band. Gosh, it does sound really painful, Aileen, when you say it's about this repeated rubbing um, at the lower end of the of the thigh bone. That does sound painful. But thinking about um, the 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 risks and what's what potentially causes it, why are runners seem to be particularly at risk of developing this syndrome? Well, as I said earlier, it's, it's often described as an overuse injury and it develops due to activities where you bend your knee. So, you know, with running, we're bending our knees regularly, consistently, constantly. Um, and also there are other risk factors, including uh, increasing running distances, increased volume of downhill running off or increased volumes of fast running and the severe knee pain experience may have also uh, been preceded by a recent spike in running loads. So that might be, you know, if you're a new runner and suddenly you, you started running more frequently, or maybe you're somebody who's increasing training distances over a short period of time, or maybe you're returning to running and you're still quite fit, but you go out there a bit too fast and you're doing too much too soon. So all of these things can, you know, as a runner, you know, we're, we're prone to these things happening. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I think that's true for any injury, isn't it? It's all these different factors, but I suppose we've all got different weaknesses maybe. So for some people, it'll affect their IT band. For others, it might be their lower back or it, it, it might be the glutes or, or something else. So, um, but, but all potentially because they're doing too much too quickly or they're upping their training or for, for um, various other reasons that you've mentioned. So Aileen, how do people describe the symptoms of this ITBS? Well, this is what I found interesting um, because people talk about a sharp pain or ache on the outside of the knee. Uh, it might just stay in the knee or it might spread up uh, or down the leg, sometimes towards the, the, the hip. Uh, some people talk about having the, the outside of the knee being tender to touch and there might also be uh, some swelling. Now, usually you only feel the pain during an activity like running or cycling, um, and it might feel worse when running downhill. And often you can start a run pain free, but the pain develops during a run. Um, and it, you know, it can be very, very painful. And often people, uh, you know, have to halt the running during a, a, a training run or, or a race because it's so painful. Um, but the as soon as they've stopped running their pain is alleviated um now unfortunately for some the pain can uh, affect them at other times so it can be but when they're walking or when they're sitting too um so but mostly it does seem to be sort of a, a during exercise pain that's alleviated by stopping now i did find a paper which was a case study paper and it was looking at two cases of female runners and um, 
I'll put a link into the, the show notes for it. And it was looking at the management of IT band, band syndrome with a multifaceted approach. And um, as I say, they looked at two female runners and they both described having a stabbing pain in the range of eight to nine out of 10 on a pain scale. So, you know, quite high pain. And they were both experienced the pain uh, after three miles of running. And both said that it was so bad that they just had to stop running. Now, the the good news is that, you know, for both runners, they were able to resolve the IT band syndrome uh, in a period of a few months. uh, But there was this multifactorial approach to treatment and conditioning exercises. So it's quite an interesting read. And there's lots of, um, you know, examples of of different um, exercises that they did as well as resting. that uh, that helped them so it's it's worth a read if if anybody's interested Mm, it is very interesting so really from what we've said so far it does sound like most runners could be at risk of developing it band syndrome but the risks could be reduced by managing your training load and also doing conditioning training to strengthen the hips, the glutes and the knees. And also it would be really important to take professional advice from, say, a physiotherapist or a sports therapist as soon as you notice any knee pain. So it's about acting quickly. Now, they'll be able to professionally assess your situation. They'll then be able to consider the symptoms and your run training, including mileage, frequency, and also the type of training. They might also assess muscle strength and that extensibility. So that's the ability to extend or stretch. And they'll also be assessing the muscles attached to the IT band. So quite an in-depth um assessment before they then um, think about the appropriate treatment for you. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to get a correct diagnosis because there are lots of different knee pain uh, for different reasons. <laughs> so it's important that you you find out what's what's at the root of the knee pain and you, you deal with it uh, appropriately. And as you say, Karen, it's really important to act quickly and take professional advice. And if you ignore the problem and sort of run through the pain, there's a danger that you might develop a chronic situation, a chronic injury and where the IT band thickens and then it might be more difficult uh, to heal. Now, I, I read some advice in a, an article that, that was saying you really should seek professional help after the first time you experience knee pain because this can save you weeks or months of treatment time or time out of running. So, you know, if the first time you notice it, you know, maybe maybe we're not all going to just rush off to the physio the first time unless it's very, very painful. But certainly if on the next run you notice it, you really need to think I've got to do something about this and not ignore it. Mm, and stop running. Mm. Like you said, it's so easy to run through the pain, isn't it? But it sounds as though with this, it's really important to to stop running and act quickly and get that professional support. Okay, so next we're going to focus on pain management. But before we we do that, um, I just thought that this, this might be a good time to introduce you all to our free downloadable eBooks. Now, if you are a regular listener, you will 
um, and know about this. But if you're new to a podcast, just to let you know that we have various um, downloadable ebooks available to you. Um, you can just go to our website where you'll be able to um, access them all. So that's runnershealthup.com. Just click on the free nutrition guides on the top menu bar of the homepage, and you'll be able to find them all there. But we we are finding that the most popular one is Top Running Snacks and Nutrient Timing. And that's really to help support fueling your running. And it goes alongside much of the advice that, that we share in all our podcast episodes. So we do hope that you um you uh, like it and you benefit from it. So um, just pop over to the website and uh, and you can download that for free. Okay, so um, moving on and thinking about the nutrition to support pain management, what do we need to take into consideration, Aileen, regarding pain management when t- dealing with this particular uh, injury, this ITB syndrome? Well, as we've mentioned, um, for most runners, the severe knee pain associated with IT band syndrome will be alleviated by stopping running as soon as you experience the pain. So, you know, at that point, that's where we, we would suggest you make the call to your physio for, for assessment. And if you stop and the pain is alleviated, then perhaps there wouldn't be any need for pain management. Um, but I think that the main thing that I wanted to really highlight here was that you know, don't be tempted to take painkillers so that you can run through the pain because that might be what people will think of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to remember that pain is the body's alarm to tell us that something's going on. And if pain medication is used, then the perception of pain is decreased. So it makes it bearable uh, while we're running. But what it's doing is masking the injury. So in the longer term, there's a potential that you could be doing some damage. So, I mean, our viewpoint um, is that pain medication should be used in acute situations only and and only really in chronic conditions under medical supervision. So that means if you are, um, you know, living with a an injury for the longer term, then your medical practitioner or sports injury specialist will advise you on how to use pain management and pain medication um, for a short term period while you're recovering uh, from your injury. So um, don't just take it upon yourself to ignore the advice and find your own short term solution, which develops into a problem for you. Yeah, definitely. And thinking about those different painkillers that that people do uh, use at times, it is important to acknowledge the health risks that are related to the chronic use of of these different medications, including liver and kidney disorders, exercise associated hyponatremia. So that's um, low low um, salt levels, low sodium levels, gut and digestive issues as well. They're well known to irritate the gut. And also, um, any it will lead to potentially delayed healing of musculoskeletal injuries. So um, it could counteract what you're trying to do. Now, we did do an episode on this, uh, was episode 53, Painkillers for Running. And in this episode, we talk about when it's safe to use painkillers pain and the NSAIDs, so those non-steroidal 
anti-inflammatory medications like ibuprofen. And also we highlight some nutrients which would be supportive in the management of pain and inflammation. So thinking about potentially using more natural um, painkillers rather than the medications. Um, and we will talk about some of the of of those later. Um, but in the meantime, Aileen, I think this might be a good opportunity to have a short advert break. So I'll hand over to you. Okay, thanks, Karen. Um, so this is the part of the episode where we take a moment to talk to you about what Karen and I do outside of the podcast. And often uh, we find listeners are curious about when they might need to have professional nutritional support and when they should consider uh, booking a program or a consultation with us. So I thought today I'd share a story of one of our clients. Um, I won't uh, use their real name for privacy reasons. So I'm going to call this client Michelle. Uh, Michelle books work with us call um, because, um, you know, she has a situation that she wanted to resolve. And she told us that uh, she'd run one marathon in a few months ago. And by her own admission, she hadn't got a nutrition right. She said that she'd had a horrible experience on race day and she didn't want to risk that happening again. Now, as, as well as uh, wanting to run a marathon, Michelle experiences IBS symptoms. And because she's anxious about this on race day, she underfuels, hoping that that's going to prevent digestive uh, distress. Now, she she knows that she now knows because of a horrible experience that this not only affects her performance and her enjoyment of the day, but it, it can lead to other uh, side effects and symptoms. Um, and she really wanted to work on a digestive system alongside a marathon training so that on a next race day, she's, she can feel energetic um, and she can have good recovery and feel um, confident on race day. But not only on race day, but during a training, because we know that, you know, marathon training takes a lot of dedication and she wants to feel good while she's doing it. And she doesn't want to have to work around her IBS to get to the result that she wants. So we picked up on three elements of Michelle's goal. So her number one nutrition goal was to resolve her IBS symptoms, but she also wanted her training and the race to be a positive experience. So, you know, I say kudos to Michelle for letting go of that bad experience and, and wanting to be properly prepared this time because often when we have a bad experience, we just think, well, we don't want to do that again. And then we don't overcome the sort of root causes of the problem. Now, Michelle's been a listener uh, to our podcast for a long time, and she's heard many of our suggestions for nutrition for marathons, but she really needed an expert assessment of a digestive function and a plan for supporting uh, her digestive system nutritionally. Um, so we put together a program uh, for Michelle, which was um, based on um, digestive screening tests, helping her resolve the digestive issues, but also fitting all of that around her marathon training, taking her up to, to race day. So if you're someone like Michelle or you're somebody who is living with a health condition which is affecting your run training, we'd love you to book a complimentary work with us call and that will help us advise you on the best way forward. Now, when you book the call, um, there's no pressure to buy. But if you would like to book professional help, we're here for you. And you can find the booking link on our website, which is runnershealthhub.com on the work with us page. And um, 
remember that uh, we'll also have that in our show notes so you can find it there. If you go into our booking diary and you can't find a time that suits you or or perhaps you're living in a different time zone, just drop us an email at hello at runnershealthhook.com and we'll do our very best to accommodate you both for a complimentary call and for any of our programs or services. Um, So we hope to hear from you sometime soon. Great. Thanks, Celine. Okay, so now let's think about um, inflammatory status and how this might be important for resolving IT band syndrome. Now, the inflammatory response is a natural response to deal with any pain or injury or infection. Uh, What happens is the immune system triggers an inflammatory response to deal with the situation and immune cells identify a stressor and take action to resolve the issue. So in the case of ITB syndrome, the immune system is aiming to resolve the injury. Now, a healthy immune system balances a pro-inflammatory and an anti-inflammatory response to manage the healing process. So in an acute injury, the pro-inflammatory mediators are released to help the increase of blood flow in and around the site of the injury, and that enables the pro-inflammatory immune cells to do their job. So that is a, a you know a, a, a quick resume of how the immune system works. Eileen, I just wondered if you could maybe explain uh, the term chronic inflammation, inflammation and what we mean by that. Yeah, well, you, you've just described what happens in an acute situation. So the term chronic inflammation describes a situation where a chronic injury or illness is, is ongoing for a long period of time and, or, and it's not fully resolved. And we're, the immune system's just working very, very hard, uh, to, um, try to promote a healing situation. Uh, now chronic inflammation is also a symptom of other health conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis would be an example or other autoimmune disorders and and also some people are in a state of chronic inflammation if they for example have a poor diet or they're obese or maybe perhaps they're drinking too much alcohol or smoking and there's a lot of talk um you know people have read about it about this you know ill health situation that people are in because of chronic inflammation and it, it really holds us in a, a, an unhealthy place. So I suppose why are we sharing all this? Um, and it's really because if we are healthy and we've got a balanced immune system and then we're, we're unfortunate enough to experience an injury, we're more likely to heal and recover swiftly if we're if we do have a balanced immune system. Now, unfortunately, if we are in a chronic state of inflammation before an injury, the immune system might not be able to work effectively. And also, if we keep running through an injury, we're likely to create a, cl- a chronic inflammatory status. So it's really important to have that to bear that in mind and make sure that uh, we don't allow a chronic inflammatory status to hang around for too long and we do our best to uh, to balance the immune system. Mm-hmm. And thinking about that 
balancing of the immune system and trying to minimize the the possibility of a chronic inflammatory state arising, let's talk about omega-3 fatty acids, which are, are found in foods and are known to really help support balance that immune response that we've been speaking about. Now, omega-3 fatty acids are known to have an anti-inflammatory action, so that's how they support the um, the, inf- the inflammatory or the immune response. Now, within the omega-3 family, there are DHA and EPA, which contain what's known as specialised pro-resolving mediators, so to commonly known as SPMs, and they have an active role in resolving inflammation and promote and promoting healing. Now, the SPMs are involved in balancing the inflammatory response following the inflammation initiation phase of an injury. What they do is they reduce the pro-inflammatory cells that are entering the area and then promote more anti-inflammatory cells to come in and and sort of promote the healing. And this helps with the tissue repair and also can help with resolving low-grade chronic inflammation. So omega-3 fatty acids, especially the DHA and EPA, are going to be really important in, in minimizing the chances of chronic inflammation occurring. Thanks, Karen. So, so when we're thinking about the EPA and DHA, the richest dietary sources of, of those fatty acids are from oily fish. Um, now, the body can convert um, in another omega-3 fatty acid from a plant source into DHA and EPA, and, and that fatty acid is known as ALA, so it's alpha-linoleic acid. Um, However, the conversion of um, ALA into the DHA and EPA is not particularly efficient. Um, now, a lot of people that are following a, a vegetarian or a plant-based diet um, tend to focus in on if I eat enough ALA, then I'll be able to get DHA and EPA without eating fish. But because this conversion is um, not as efficient, um, we don't always get what we need if, if you're following a plant-based food diet. Um, so those people might consider supplementing uh, with um an EPA and DHA supplement that's um, derived from microalgae. So it's more in line with uh, the way they want to, to eat. So th- I think the main point here is that it's important to consume an optimal amount of omega-3 fatty acids in your food or supplement plan so that you're providing your body with the nutrients that are required to create the SPMs that Karen's been talking about there. Um, so Karen, I was just thinking that, you know, everybody knows that you follow a vegetarian food plan. What do you do to ensure that you get optimal uh, omega-3 fatty acids without having to eat oily fish? Yeah, well, what I tend to do, Alien, is include sources of flaxseed and hempseed oil regularly into my diet. But I do also take a vegan supplement, like you were saying, and the one that I use is sourced from microalgae. And um, I do take that daily because I know that it is um it is more difficult for vegetarians and vegans to to get the appropriate amounts of omega-3 into their diet 
Yeah, well, good to know that that you do that, Karen, and other people can maybe follow suit. Um, so another aspect of um, nutritional status to consider is um, thinking about omega-6 status and in particular its relationship to omega-3 status. So a bit like the immune system, there needs to be a healthy balance between omega-6 and omega-3. And if you have too high a ratio of omega-6 to omega-3, that can also promote an inflammatory status. Um, so that's something to consider. Mm. So thinking about that, Aileen, how could people assess their omega, uh, their omega status? Yeah, well, one thing you could do is to do a test. Uh, there is a, a sort of a home kit blood test available that various different companies offer them. Um, so that's like a, a blood spot finger prick test. And the, the test results usually give a breakdown of the status of omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids. And I, I think it can be quite an informative test because you can see it in a glance which individual fatty acids uh, you may be um, deficient in or that you may be have too many of and not enough of the others. And that allows you to focus on what you need to have an optimal status. So I've, I've just done a test recently and I found um, on my omega-3 index is that my DHA and EPA are optimal. And that was great to know. And I do eat a lot of oily fish and I don't supplement with omega-3. So I was really pleased that my food plan was um you know, doing the right things for me. But interesting, what I found what my ALA, uh, the, the alpha linoic acid is um, suboptimal. And that, as, you know, I was surprised at that. But, you know, on reflection, I realized that maybe I'm not eating. I'd sort of got out of the habit of eating some of the foods that are uh, high in ALA. So uh, things like walnut, chia, flea, chia seed and flaxseed that you mentioned, Karen. Um so I'll focus a bit more on adding those into my food plan over the next few months. And then looking at my omega-6 status, uh, what I discovered was that I'm optimal at the top of the fatty acid uh, chain uh, with um LA, which is linoleic acid. And, uh, but what, what seems to happen is that I convert poorly further down the chain at, um, something called GLA and DGLA fatty acids. Now, those, uh, two both have anti-inflammatory properties. Um, so it's important that, um, you know, I do, I address that area. So what I'm going to do is focus on adding in some nutrient cofactors that will help that conversion. And that's something that people could also do uh, if they have the same problem on the other side, on the, the omega-3. It's really important to have these nutritional cofactors um, to help with the conversion. But the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to supplement with some borage oil, which is part of the GLA family. So I'm going to add that into my supplement plan and see uh, see what I can do to change my results over the next few months. Mm, it does sound like a really interesting um, and detailed test, actually, Aileen. It gives a lot of detail there. But what would the cost of such a test be? Um, well, they, they sort of range between, I would say, about £80 and £175, depending on how much analysis you require. Um, you know, some are, are very much top level and they're just saying omega-3 and omega-6 and others do break it down into all the different fatty acids um, and a few other um, components that are of, of interest. So um, I, I suppose it's really 
depending on how much you, you would like to know. Uh, I always think the more information, the better. Um, so ideally, uh, you would book your test um, and then book a consultation with a nutritionist to interpret your results. And that would help you get um you know, personalized food and supplement recommendations to address the nutrient gaps that the test identified. Um, so uh, if that's of interest to anyone, please book a, a free work with us call and we can advise you. And um, as we've mentioned earlier, the links on our website at runnershealthup.com and we can suggest which test might be the right test for you. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, no, it's it may be worth investing in if you do find that inflammation is an issue for you. OK, but let's round up with maybe reminding everyone which foods are rich in omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. Now, we've already mentioned that plant-based sources of omega-3 um, contain the ALA, so that's the alpha-linoleic acid, and the richest sources of those are from walnuts, chia and flaxseed. Now, an easy way of adding these to your food plan would be to add them to porridge or overnight oats, or maybe just adding to, to yogurt as part of your breakfast. Now, some people really like a chia pudding, or you could bake as part of a flapjack recipe, or put them into bounce balls, or even blend them into a smoothie. So lots of different ideas for um, chia seeds. Now, the DHA and EPA omega-3s are, like Aileen was saying, from the oily fish, and, uh, you know, the small fish are best. So, so really, it's about remembering the acronym SMASH. So when you're thinking about your oily fish, you're thinking about sardines, Sardines, mackerel, anchovies, salmon, and herring. So that's your SMASH acronym. And also, as uh, we mentioned earlier, you might need to add an omega 3 supplement if you don't eat oily fish on a regular basis or if your test results indicate that there's an insufficiency or a deficiency. So um, so it, you might be able to get it through your food or you may have to take uh, a supplement for a period of time. So Aileen, what are the food sources uh, that you would recommend for the omega-6 fatty acids? Uh, well, omega-6 fatty acids are mostly found in nuts and seeds and vegetable oils. Um, now, having said that, it's really unusual to be deficient in omega-6 fatty acids because vegetable oils are often used in production of processed and prepared foods. So, um, you know, you, you tend to, for most people, uh, they're eating those sufficiently. Um, and it, it can also be very easy to overconsume omega-6 oils. Um, so, for instance, shop-bought Hummus might be made with vegetable oil, or you might find canned sardines or tuna could be packed in sunflower oil, and you know the list goes on. So it's it's really worth checking the labels of all your foods, um, but especially the ones that you might consider to be healthy because you you think you're making a healthy choice, and um, it's not that they're unhealthy, but you might just be if you're overeating them, you might be uh, getting the balance of the omega six out of uh out of line to to what you're aiming for um so one of the things that you you have to really think about with your test result um if it does indicate a high omega-6 to omega-3 ratio the best approach is to increase your omega-3 intake you'll get a 
a better uh, or a, a more speedy result by doing that than trying to reduce your omega-6s um, and also focus on the nutritional cofactors that, that we, we mentioned earlier. So the, the main ones are vitamin B3 and B6, vitamin C, zinc and magnesium and um, making sure that you're optimal in those will help you um, with those conversion pathways and most of the test companies will suggest that you should take about four months of uh, following uh, a food plan that's going to influence your fatty acid status uh, with you know food and supplements and then maybe retest after four or five months and see where you are and see if what you've done has worked. Yeah, some good advice there. And, and and really today we focused on um, omega fatty acids. However, it is worth remembering that there are other nutrients and food approaches which can help promote a healthy inflammatory status. Now, we'll put links to related episodes in the show notes so that you can go back and listen to others. And, and do remember, we are always available if you would like to consult with us professionally. Either email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com or book a work with us call um, that Aileen spoke about earlier. So just before we round up, um, Aileen, could you give us your key takeaways from today's episode? Yes. So uh, today's episode is all about IT band syndrome and how it affects many runners. It's categorized as an overuse in in injury. Uh, the key symptoms are stabbing knee pain, which tends to develop during running activity and will often be alleviated when you stop running. Um, now, the pain can spread up or down the leg, sometimes towards the, the hip. There might be um some swelling and you might find that the, the knee is tender to the touch on the outside of the knee. Um, so there are a few symptoms to consider. Um, the risk factors for um, IT band, band syndrome are if you're increasing running distances um, or increased volumes of downhill running or fast running, and the severe knee pain might have been preceded by a spike, a recent spike in running loads. Um, so consider your, your training plan. Now, other contributors to IT band syndrome are weak muscles in your um, knees, uh, hips and glutes and perhaps having tightness in the IT band too. And our best advice is to consult with a physio or sports injury specialist as soon as you experience pain. Please don't run through the pain or use painkillers to mask the pain. Your, your specialist will professionally advise you on your situation and consider symptoms and your run training. So they'll look at mileage, frequency, type of training, and they'll personalize a re recovery plan for you. And remember following a nutrition plan which supports a healthy immune system and a balanced inflammatory status will be supportive to recovery and injury prevention. And that's the, the overview for IT band syndrome, Karen. Great. Thanks, Celine. And thanks for sharing the, the key information about ITB syndrome, which clearly is something that can affect many people, including many runners. We do hope that it has been helpful for everybody in, in prevention or recovery from ITB band syndrome. And finally, remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. 
Thanks for joining us today on She Runs Eats Performs. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and will join us again soon. Before you go, please listen to the end to hear more about Amazing Jane Activewear and why their leggings were voted best for runners by Women's Fitness. Once again, thanks for listening and have a great week. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialling wearing their range for a few months and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.